0: Entering the Freedom
1: Hut. Riots in Minneapolis, Minnesota because of the killing of George Floyd. Cuomo blames the nursing homes. What is Governor Whitmer of Michigan doing about nursing homes in the midst of COVID-19? Plus, can the deep state hang on until 2021? And Biden has another Bidenism coming up.
0: Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One, more Make. Make no mistake. America. you're a great America again. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA
2: analyst. Former member of NYVD. NYPD. I, think
1: I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It
3: is Buck Sexton. Now.
1: Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. It was uh, troubling, to say the least, last night as the video was, uh, was circulating all over social media of what was going on in Minneapolis. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm so frustrated. Yesterday, I was saying I think this is going to start another, another movement like we've seen in the past in the aftermath of violence involving a police officer uh, this this case is a, this is a bad one I mean this one is not this is not a situation in which I feel like we have to get a lot more information before now that's different from the legal process that the officer involved deserves you know even a even a mass murderer under our constitution gets a legal process my friends now the officer's not a mass murderer but you understand what I'm saying everyone gets a it uh, gets their due process, gets a fair process. Uh, that said, the video is enough that this is, a, this is a, a wrong that was done. People see this across the country, and, and they recognize how terrible it is. They understand that this uh, requires justice. The officers have already been fired. The mayor of Minneapolis is almost in tears talking about the case, it's a gut punch to everybody I know who's watching it. I had you know, right-wing conservatives in the media texting me just to be like, did you see this video? This is terrible. And, and instead of viewing this, now look, there's, there's going to be this game the media plays of pretending that, that protests and riots are kind of similar or you can't really differentiate. No. A protest is a constitutionally protected act And the right to protest is something that we should all respect. Oh, that's right. Even when there's COVID-19, even when the government is telling you that they have some other compelling interest uh, to prevent you from being able to protest, it is a constitutional right. They don't get to just suspend it because they're worried about the spread of COVID-19. They're not able to. They're not allowed to do that. Although they have been doing it, so I mean I, they shouldn't be able to do it is what I uh, what I mean by this. And the protests in Minneapolis would certainly be be warranted. Although there's there's really no movement against justice for the family here of um, of George Floyd. There, there's no movement of people that are saying, "Oh, well, this was." I have not heard a single person claim that this video was not terrible and that the officers should not be uh, punished to the fullest extent of the law. What does looting have to do with any of this? You know, why do we have to pretend for some reason as a society that people going in to a target or going into an auto zone? I mean, I was watching these videos circulating last night. This is in Minneapolis, not not a place that you think of as high crime or a place that that has to deal with with problems like this. Uh, You know, this is appalling to watch. You have these stores that are are being looted and burned to the ground. People are actually burning them to the ground. There was one video of a guy running around during the looting with a chainsaw. And yet you have these social justice advocates and the, the the people that make a living from fanning the flames of racial division and grievance who, if not openly advocating for the looting, always find a way to, uh, to make it seem less awful or to make it seem less completely unjustifiable by saying, well, people are, are rightly angry about this. You have a right to be angry. You don't have a right to burn down your own neighborhood. You don't have a right to destroy the property of individuals who have absolutely nothing to do with these cops and what they did. You know, if, if you take, if, if you believe in justice and you think that individual actions are not the, fa- are not the foundational, you know, the, the central issue, that, that the individual either doing or not doing something is not the central issue of the justice system, you're opening up the possibility that anyone can be punished for anything. That any one of us can be a sacrifice to someone else's political anger or concerns or some other injustice, perhaps even a historical injustice. You could have your house burned down because of something that was done 50 or 100 or 200 years ago, unless individual agency responsibility and moral culpability are the foundation of our justice system and also our sense of what is right. I cannot be punished for the actions of another person that's that's wrong that's immoral destroying property of people destroying property burning down businesses all the, and you know we all we know this you know this listening to the to me say it and yet the media doesn't want to come down too harshly on these protesters doesn't i mean, I'm, see i just did it rioters You got to make sure you keep these things separate. It's not. Rioting is not protesting. These are not the same. Right. Holding up a placard is not the same thing as punching someone in the face. These are not the same. We don't get to pretend they are. So don't let the media get away with it because they view uh, particularly racial division as an opportunity to push ratings up, to push forward favored narratives for a lot of posturing from multimillionaire news anchors and left-wing journalists all over the place to act like they care so much about oppressed minority communities and that they're the ones that that really want uh, justice in this situation. And anybody who's calling out the rioters, let's use the proper terminology, no one calls out the protesters. And I can totally understand people wanting to protest over what happened to George Floyd. Now it's come out that the officer in, in question who had the knee on the neck of floyd for uh for over i've I've seen as as over nine minutes the video i watched was five minutes but i've seen it said it was over nine minutes Uh, there are multiple complaints against him in the past so the officer may well have been somebody who should have been disciplined beforehand there is going to be huge liability for the city of minneapolis and i'm i'm willing to bet right now that the family of george floyd uh is is going to get a very very large uh payout in a civil suit as a result of this i know that doesn't bring him back but i'm just saying that n- no one is expecting this to go in any direction other than these cops uh particularly the one cop with his knee on his neck uh, are in a whole lot of trouble and this is a, a terrible injustice so what's with the looting what what are the what do the looters think that they are showing now the, the looters are just using this as an excuse it's an excuse they're angry they're not particularly angry about this. They're just angry in general. And so they want to destroy. They want to threaten. They want to ruin. And they're looking for some justification, some, some excuse in their own mind for this activity. I mean, it's terrible, especially given what the country's going through right now. You're burning down businesses. Those businesses uh, are, are, you know, employ people who are hoping to come back to work soon. Who knows what that's... It's just it's awful to see this. And there's this video... That's making the rounds of a woman coming out of a store and she's in a wheelchair and she's attacked by a mob of looters and they spray uh, a a fire extinguisher on her and the people are throwing things at her and hitting her. It's an it's an elderly woman in a wheelchair. I think that the decision that was made to pull back the police in Minneapolis is wrong. I think that until we decide that you're going to enforce the law, when it comes to burning down buildings, stealing en masse, I think that we're going to continue to see this. You know, law enforcement has a duty here. And to say, oh, it's too dangerous for my officers. Um, uh, you know, so, so now is it if you get a mob together, they can break the law and, the, and cops don't want to have to do anything about it? That Think about the implications of that. If one person does something illegal, the cops will, you know, use force, escalate force. They'll, you know, they'll hit you with a with a nightstick or with a baton. They'll uh, they'll mess you up, man. I mean, cops. Cops uh, have to use force, have to use violence. And they will, in fact, not just draw their tasers, they'll draw their firearms if they have to. In this case, you're burning down buildings. They don't know if there's with this kind of arson. That's a threat to, to human life. I mean, that's a felony. You don't know if there's someone asleep somewhere in that building. You don't know if there's someone who's trapped somehow inside, you know, cleaning late at night, and these buildings are lit, lit up in flames. No one knows. Arson's a very serious crime. Just, uh, stealing is a felony. You know, mob violence undermines society at its very core. And the Minneapolis cops just let them burn down the neighborhood? Really? Well, maybe people would be less likely to loot if looters were being hit with rubber bullets and wrestled to the ground and handcuffed. Now, you know, you can tell me, oh, buck, oh, they don't do that. Um, we just went through a couple of months here of cops arresting people for the crime of not wearing a mask in public and in some cases wrestling them, throwing them face first into the cement that happened here in New York, arresting people in public parks for being with their kids because of stupid pseudoscience promoted by scared psycho libs who want Trump to lose that you can't be in open air without a mask on. So, you know, the the cops have been able, they'll shut down businesses, you know, they'll show up and do all this stuff, but looting, violence, threat to life, threat to property, cops in Minneapolis called called away from the scene, sorry, don't want to don't want to get too deep into this one it's wrong it's wrong it's just caving to mob violence looting has nothing to do with justice looting is an injustice inherently every time it's not uh, it's not a little bit more okay it's not a little bit less awful because people are upset i'm upset about a lot of things i'm not going to go burn down a store down the street to show my rage What if I walked down the street and decided that I was just going to take a baseball bat and swing it at somebody's head because I'm upset about something? It's garbage. Anybody you hear out there who's downplaying this is a coward, is a phony, is someone who should not be listened to and honestly should be condemned. Oh, there's anger about this. Yeah, you protest when there's anger. You don't destroy people's livelihoods. You don't threaten people and destroy property because you're upset. And even having to talk about it, it has nothing to do with that. This is just the exploitation of a circumstance by individuals acting collectively to express rage and do what they feel like, to act on an impulse that they've had that finally now they see an opening. And there needs to be much more aggressive pushback against this. Uh, you know, this is this is where the cops have got to be willing to use force. You know, the, I, I, what else are we going to say? Anytime somebody wants to burn down a neighborhood because they're upset about an incident involving race and the police, that's we're just going to allow that to happen. Look what's happened in Baltimore. Look what's happened in F- Ferguson, Missouri. And now it's happening in Minnesota. Unacceptable unacceptable um, this, is, this is an injustice and the people who are not calling it out for that like I said they're cowards they're not worthy of
0: your time you're in the freedom hut this is the Buck Sexton show podcast
4: so basically you have seen the records that cops keep and cops are a lot less likely to try and tread on people's rights when there's other armed Americans with them I figured it's about damn time that some, or at least I figure that it's about damn time, some heavily armed rednecks stood with fellow citizens. And why are you protecting this store? Well, I mean, this wasn't exactly a specified action. Kind of, so well, we just kind of ended up here. We, we've been moving around and just trying to see what see what's what without getting necessarily completely slapped by massive groups of people. And uh, while we were walking, somebody mentioned that there were some guys at the back house We wanted to know if they were over to go buy something. And uh, they said that they're that they're closed and they're defending their businesses. Oh yeah, target's on fire. Yeah, by the way. Yeah. But and anyway, so we heard that, we're like, well, we, we better we better kit up and go see if these guys need help. And it turns out these guys around here were machetes. Shattered windows trying to keep looters out of the business because cops can't get in here. And so, you know, I figure before they were cops, they were just Americans. So here we are. Already you on know, during the L.A. riots. or During the L.A. riots. <laughs> collateral damage, Everyone I got They protect their own stuff. That's where you know you got from. Ripped Korea. So bottom line, Justin for Floyd. And uh I hope they stop looting at some point. If there were more of us, we could go stop from looting. But it's yeah. just us four. Yeah, we, we definitely don't agree with the looting. Yeah, no, looting. So we yeah, definite
1: two gentlemen, two uh, self-described rednecks, standing with uh, rifles outside of a pawn shop, right near. They could see the looting going on, and I think this will be unsurprising. But as I as, as I last checked, uh, they they uh, prevented the store from being. Burnt out, destroyed, perhaps more violence occurring, individuals coming under risk. It's all it took. Two guys standing outside of... Actually, I'm sorry, there were four of them, pardon me, in that video. Um, uh, Two of them self-described as as rednecks, standing outside of a store, saying that they're just going to help out and protect it. They're not going to allow looting, which is a terrifying thing, to destroy someone's business and burn it to the ground. And perhaps engage there. There was violence against people. I mean, a woman in a wheelchair, for heaven's sake, was attacked by one of these angry mobs. Two guys standing outside prevent this from happening. Imagine if the cops were believed to be. Now, the thing about those two guys, the, the two, uh, I'm, I keep saying two, they're the ones talking. There are four of them, actually, four armed men. Um, I'm, I'm quite sure that if you threw a, a brick at one of their heads or you surrounded them and they felt in fear of their lives. They, they would use their weapons to defend themselves and they would be right to do so. But the protesters know that they can throw rocks at cops. They can burn down stores. I said it again. Darn it. The rioters. See, this is what this is. So the, the media propaganda is so pernicious. I've been reading about protests in this morning when there's not it's not about protests. We're not even talking about protests. There's riots. These are riots. Have to use the the uh, Proper terminology, but this is this is actually kind of an instruction in how the propaganda works. You just you, you read a word enough, you see it enough, and it seeps into your mind. And even when you don't want to say it, you end up saying it. But this shows you that a couple of armed patriots just trying to help out their fellow citizen uh, can really step in and make a difference. And they they were saying exactly what should be said. They they think that what happened to George Floyd was atrocious. They support protests, but they don't support rioting and looting and the destruction of public property, the the threats against people burning down buildings. And unlike the cops in Minneapolis, these four
0: men were willing to do something about it to actually help some people. Oh, look at that. Thanks for listening to the Buck and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I just want to say before we transition into some updates on uh, what's going on with COVID-19 and, and all of that, there there seems to be a, a media narrative that, that keeps popping up of, oh, why is it so? I've seen numerous journalists. Uh, Julia Yaffe is one of them. Why is this? looting so bad in comparison to the guys who stormed the Michigan state Capitol with firearms. The people who went into the Michigan state Capitol didn't break any laws, didn't destroy anything and didn't, didn't, didn't attack anyone. I, uh, this is very obvious, but it just shows you, you know, that there's, there's the, a, a desire among the left-wing media to have, um, to have some way of showing their sympathy, not for protesters, not for the family of George Floyd, which is completely understandable, and that's a sympathy, that, a sympathy that I have. No, their sympathy with the looters, though. That's, you know, if you're a real dedicated leftist SJW, a social justice warrior, then you need to find a way to have uh, sympathy for the people who are burning down stores and and destroying things like this. And that's just appalling. And it's a dangerous, uh, destructive game. The media plays with all this. And it's truly very, uh, very frustrating to watch. And it also gets them them ratings. Uh, But there's an obvious uh, separation between what happened in Minneapolis. Lots of law breaking, destruction of property and violence. And what happened at the Michigan State House where you had Individuals who were lawfully carrying. Now, is it a judgment call that I would make to go carry in the Michigan State House like that? I wouldn't do it, but I don't condemn those who do. They're allowed. It's within law. It's the Second Amendment. So, And, and I understand also, I, I look, I'm glad there are some people who early on in this process were speaking out against what is tyrannical and what's going on in this country with this COVID-19 thing is tyrannical. There's no question about it. Uh, But there's oh, and and if if you're wondering where all this is going, I mean, here is a gentleman by the name of Vin Gupta on on masks uh, play clip four, producer, Mark.
5: I think we need a law, Willie, And, and, and the fact is we passed laws for banning indoor smoking because we know exposure to secondhand smoke is detrimental to your health and you can't just rely on recommendations, unfortunately. Behaviors are behaviors. Human beings are peculiar, and they're tend, they, a lot tend to be cynical. And I understand why people don't want to wear masks. I don't want to wear a mask if I can avoid it. I'm sure you don't want to wear a mask if you can avoid it. It's frightening to children. So but now is the time for urgency. We do not have time to assure all Americans along on this policy. We have to be strong.
1: That's Dr. Vin Gutta on On MSNBC. Playing into this mask frenzy that's going on. right now, oh, and so now it has to be mandatory to wear a mask. There must be the force of law behind you wearing a mask. I want to be very clear about this. They have no no argument that they will make in response to this point. If masks are compulsory as a function of law for you anywhere outside your home, which is what they are now demanding, Why would masks ever not be compulsory outside the home? The seasonal flu hits us every year. There are millions and millions of cases, and there are tens of thousands of people who die every year. The fact that there's I mean, there are morons out there. Uh, There was one I came across on MSNBC, uh, one of the dumber correspondents they have who think, oh, we have a vaccine for the flu. Um, About 40 percent of the adult population any, any given year gets it. And it generally is a crapshoot, whether it even works. And they say, oh, we update the flu vaccine later in the season. Yeah. Do you think people go get multiple if they're at very high risk? Maybe. But most people are like, well, I missed it this year. And you still have a lot of people who get it, a lot of people who die. If it saves just one life, that's how we've been pushed into this. Right. That's the the entry point of this tyranny. If it saves just one life. Well, we could save lives if masks work with respiratory diseases, which I know we're supposed to take as an article of not just an article of faith. We're supposed to believe that this is gospel. This is the absolute truth, even though there's a CDC study that says still up on the website, still says that for influenza it doesn't really make much of a difference with masks. Now, do I think that if you have a full on. Uh, You know, plexiglass, self-contained breathing apparatus and everything. Yeah, that that'll prevent you from getting it. But a little piece of cloth across your mouth. Come on. Um, But this is all about control. This is about making people do what the people in power want them to do. And it's also it's also about forcing you to psychologically bend the knee here. And that's one of the reasons I find this so very troubling because I think that mask wearing in public is stupid an infringement on my rights and just part of the hysteria and the attitude of overreach and control at any cost that has been so pervasive during this whole phenomenon. But if I if I go out and I wear a mask and I wear a mask, then it becomes, oh, you're doing what you're told. Oh, excuse me, mister, we shouldn't wear a mask. Here's a photo of you wearing a mask, right? You've complied. You're now a part of it. You know, it's like, uh, and then this is an extreme example, but it's the first thing that comes to mind. Well, I'll I'll come up with a less extreme example. You know, what's one of the ways that they'll put you, uh, that that, that they do gang initiation? How, How do you get a gang initiation? Well, a lot of times it's commit a, serious crime a felony usually a violent felony well once you've done that everything else you're going to be subjected to in this gang what other people are doing you know you're a violent felon too so how are you going to say hey guys we shouldn't do that don't do that thing you're already a part of it so with this mask mania they want the law to force you all to do it so then you're a you're a hypocrite if you go out with a mask on because you're told you have to they say oh you're protecting yourself i mean i come across this too with the idiot libs. I mean, I get targeted for this, but I, I don't care, but I've become somebody uh, that, that they'll go after because I've been a skeptic of this for a long time, longer than almost anybody looking at this. And those of you listening to the show know that for about two weeks, I was like, wow, we're in really bad shape here because all the numbers were telling us this is terrible. We're about to get, you know, we had a, I watched from my window in real time as a hospital ship was floating by Because our hospitals were going to be overwhelmed. I, I had friends sending me photos from their window of hospitals being set up in Central Park to deal with all the overflow because all these people were going to be arriving and dying in the street before they could even get into the ER and there wouldn't be enough ventilators. And this is what every government authority was telling us at that time. Now, I was somebody who said we should never I I, I put this out on Twitter and I got a tremendous amount of of heat and targeting. I said, no matter what, we should continue to go. You know, no matter what we face after the initial 15 days, we should go back to work. I don't care what they're telling us. Oh, my gosh. And then they're all saying, oh, well, you're stuck in your, you know, your fancy apartment. For as well, it's not fancy, it's small. But while you're stuck in your apartment, uh, you know, being all safe. You want other people? No, I want to be out. I'm out all the time. But they like to try to hit you with hypocrisy to undermine your argument. I'm going to stores. I'm not wearing masks wherever I can get away with it at this point. Now I can't even walk around my own building without a mask on. Common space. It's absolute, absolutely absurd. But they, they do want to make this mandatory... After it went from not worth anyone's time to please do it to you better do it or else. And it went through that very quickly, very quickly indeed. And now they want the law to mandate that you have to do this. I'm I'm sorry, this is a very, very bad sign for those of us who value autonomy and freedom and individual rights. And it's also such a clear political symbol for the left now, too. Why, why do people explain to me why people have their avatars now on Twitter with a face mask on? I mean, maybe if they think it's just marking this point in history or something, I'm not saying everybody who does this is doing it in, in a weird way that's weirdly political. But for most people that I'm seeing, it's, you know, look at me. I'm a mask wearer because I believe in the science. Really you believe in the science? How many of the mask wearers have had a serology test to find out if they should wear a mask at all? You care so much about the science. Shouldn't you know if you've already been exposed, have antibodies and therefore can neither infect others nor be infected yourself, according to science? No, that, that's that's too proactive. More fun to take selfies with your mask on, you know, Biden 2020 mask on. It's it's absurd. It's outrageous. Um, but there's also uh, there, there's a, a bit of heat now coming on this one because people are, I think, recognizing the economic catastrophe. We're going to be feeling this for a long time, and, and uh, folks are upset about it. And there are states that did not get hit hard by this that should not have locked down. It was not worth it for them. Here is really a progressive elitist of the journo finance establishment, Andrew uh, Sorkin and Joe Kernan on CNBC. They had quite a little squabble over this. Play clip three. I'm sorry. No, you're not. No, you're not, Joe.
6: I'm sorry. Okay. Um, Go ahead with the news. You panicked about the market, panicked about COVID, panicked about the ventilators, panicked about the PPE, panicked about ever going out again, panicked that we ever George get Jack, back to normal.
5: Joseph, you didn't panic what about good is anything.
6: That? What good is it? Why Joseph, not hundred thousand people, people died. keep their head? I, I understand 100, that. 100,000 people died, Joe, and all you did was try to help your friend the
4: president.
1: Ooh. Ooh. 100,000 people, he's yelling at him. It's like, dude, we all know that. That's just the way, that's you're going to handle everything now. That, that justifies, uh, you know, just that talking point justifies every decision that has been made and will be made. What if the decisions were wrong? What if it didn't save any lives? What if we're going to lose even more lives because of the decision to try to save lives with a lockdown that wasn't even the right decision because it didn't save lives? There is a real possibility that we didn't save any lives by doing this, and we will lose a lot of lives through our actions that did not save lives. Alcohol abuse, overdose from drugs, suicide, depression, uh, undiagnosed cancer. I mean, just go through the list. No, but there were people who had a, a solid month of feeling really brave and virtuous
7: Lockdown forever, as long as it takes, until there's a vaccine. Lockdown. I believe in science.
1: People say they believe in science. They don't even believe in reading. They don't know anything.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The nursing home, the
6: obligation is on the nursing home to say, I can't take a COVID positive person. I'm too crowded, I'm too busy, I don't have enough PPE, whatever the answer is. Doesn't even matter. Is if they say I can't take the person, they can't take the person.
1: So that's that's how it works. Oh, blame the nursing homes. That's the latest from Governor Governor Cuomo. Uh let's understand something here, friends. He has gone from I, you know, we've seen Cuomo go from uh, sexiest man alive, you know, in in the press. That's what they were saying. There were people, according to the New York Post, who were calling themselves Cuomo sexuals and selling t shirts and like thong underwear with Cuomo's face on it. I'm not making this up. This was actually happening because he was such a savior, because he gave the briefing every day. And then explain what's going on in the briefing. So every day he would look at the slides and eventually it would sort of turn into this, you know, we're all in this together. And that was uh, a means of, you know, this is the thing that Cuomo is doing every day. And and producer Mark points out there was a, uh, I'm trying to think of how to say this. There was a, was that a real thing?
8: Yes, people legitimately thought that he had an object sticking out of his chest. His that chest was, area. His chest area that was pierced. I think wow. people can put the clues together there. Yeah, uh, I didn't. I, did. I remember seeing that. I wasn't sure that was a.
1: I thought that was like a Babylon Bee thing, but maybe it was real. So okay, now we have the data in, and now we see what the results were. And what it all tells us is sure enough, Cuomo did a horrible job and he had this executive order on March 25th that said that nursing homes have to take COVID positive patients back into the nursing home. This was because they had been told or he believed that they would run out of room in the hospitals. Do I say room funny? Snow Princess says I say room funny. Yeah, you kind of say room Ah, everyone always
8: said, I don't know why I say this word strange. Do you anyway, watch what? Family Guy? That's how Stewie says it.
1: Oh, Stewie. I've got to work on my Stewie impersonation because it used to be pretty good. Yeah, just speak. You do it. Oh, thanks. So going back here for a second to what Cuomo did, Cuomo made terrible decisions. And, you know, the media was celebrating him It's saying he's a hero and all this great stuff all the time. Cuomo was was making terrible decisions for the state of New York and has dragged out the lockdown for much longer than it needed to be in New York State and here in New York City. And they don't have the numbers to back up what they were doing and the policy and everything else, and it's just been a a debacle. But about a week, maybe two weeks ago, he started saying, well, it's the federal government's fault that we were, that was the CDC guidance. Now he's saying, oh, it's actually the fault of the nursing homes that took the people back. Well, why? How is it there? If he's signing an executive order, remember, now the governor of New York state thinks that he can tell you you can't leave your home. You can't open your business or the state troopers are going to come after you. You know, if he signs an executive order saying you got to take people back, how is he then able to turn around and say, well, actually, actually, we aren't going to take responsibility for this. It's on you in the nursing homes. I mean, the stats, uh, the stats on on what has happened here with nursing homes across the country are just it, it's it's horrific beyond words. Um, you have something along the lines I'm trying to find it exactly. But you have you know, less than two percent of the country is in nursing homes. It's something like one point something percent, I believe, is in assisted living facilities of some kind. And the death toll from COVID nineteen across the board is close to forty percent. Just that's not forty percent seniors. That's forty percent in assisted living facilities. This was the big threat, you know. This was we we you know we deployed our our troops so to speak. We you know we put our phalanxes out there, out on the battlefield, prepared for this onslaught from COVID. And COVID actually did a flanking maneuver, swept around us, and went after you know, our, our camp in the rear and massacred people who were undefended, massacred our sick, our wounded, so to speak, in this battle analogy. We were not focused on the threat where it really was. And they can say all they want now about how, oh, you know, it's this person or that person or this facility or that facility. No. No. You want all the power to tell us you got to stay in your home? You want the power to tell us what we can and can't do day in and day out? I have to wear a mask. I can't go to the store. I can't go live my life. Flatten the curve, all this stuff. You want that authority? You also, Governor Cuomo, had the authority to do better when it came to our seniors and to protect them. And you failed. You failed. Um, this guy, this guy, it should, look, it should cost him. I don't know if he's planning on running for re-election or not, but it should cost him re-election. I don't know if it will. Fortunately, New York politics, you never know what's really going on here. But we know the truth. There's no blame shifting that's going to work here, Cuomo.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. What if...
1: The lockdown that we've suffered through, the lockdown that has brought about now 40 million job losses. What if it didn't even save lives? Now, I understand that this is very a controversial thing to even ask, but we have to, especially because I am not the least bit convinced that we will not see a request for a second round of lockdowns come this winter time, or to coincide with the flu season. Well, what do we have in terms of data to answer this very controversial question? We got Jordan Schachtel back in the house. He's an investigative journalist, national security analyst. He's uh, written for The Examiner, for The Daily Wire, USA Today, a whole bunch of places. Jordan is back with us. Jordan, thanks so much, man.
9: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: So I want to pose this question to you. And just before we get to that They said we needed a million ventilators and we needed nothing even close to that. They said we were going to overwhelm the hospitals. Nothing even close to that. You know, half a million to two point five million dead. Not even close. I mean, we just so many of the things we were told by the experts were wrong. But the one thing that they seem certain of certain is that the lockdowns would save lives. What do you say to that? And what can you tell us about it?
9: I would say that the fundamental premise behind lockdowns was that we were initially it was to to slow out the spread of the virus, acknowledging that every that a lot of people are going to get infected anyway. To retain that critical hospital capacity, what we learned is that the lockdown policies really exacerbated the problem, particularly when it came to the nursing homes, and particularly when it came to the Democrat governors deciding that this thing is going to get so bad that we are going to send sick people back into nursing homes. And now what we know and what should have been obvious to our, you know, our all-knowing public health experts was that senior citizens are particularly vulnerable to respiratory viruses. And unfortunately, it has had devastating consequences for the long-term care center communities. Um, you saw this happen in New York City in New Jersey, in Pennsylvania, in every state where they issued these orders, um, the nursing homes were absolutely devastated. When it comes to lockdown in particular, the CDC issued a report this week, basically acknowledging that the infection fatality rate ratio is at least 14, 15 times lower than the initial WHO, uh, World Health Organization prediction of 3.4%. And by acknowledging that, They also acknowledge that that 40, 50, 60 million Americans have already been affected by the coronavirus, which means that the lockdowns did not work in containment. And this wasn't even, it wasn't acknowledged first in the run up to this that lockdowns were for containment. It was supposed to be to slow down the spread. But if you saw it from Fauci, from Burks, from Governor Cuomo, Governor Murphy, New Jersey. They went on to claim when they moved the goalposts that lockdowns were stopping the spread. And that was never true. And the CDC has basically acknowledged that.
1: Do we have any way of looking at at the data about uh, nationwide, particularly hospitalizations, because that coincides with severe infection, asymptomatic infection, for example? I mean, who who, you know that that's a much less serious issue. And it's also one you're never going to be able to properly test and trace, as they say. But it seems like we had a a surge in infections and then a drop off every other country all over the world, whether they went with the most severe lockdown or almost no lockdown at all, has also had a similar degree of escalation on not the same numbers. But there was a there was a bump up and a bump down. You know, I mean, there are some some bumps are more severe than others, but everyone seems to have gone through this period. What do the numbers tell us about the cyclical nature of this virus, if anything?
9: 100% that within certain statistical parameters in countries with similar climates, you saw the same rise, the same drop, no matter what policy was tried. The only distinction here is that countries that did very hard lockdowns, like the countries in the Middle East, where you weren't even allowed to go outside, go to the supermarket, those countries have different data because those lockdowns were so strict so rigid you know it wasn't like new york city where cuomo left the subways open but in terms of like these loose lockdowns that you saw throughout western europe in the united states as opposed to the swedish model or the the, the belarus model there is absolutely no difference which means that lockdowns did nothing to stop the spread and there's a lot of evidence it possibly on the other side of things that it could have exacerbated the spread because we know you know, how the virus spreads in these close confined spaces and that we we know that community transmission isn't that big an issue and the virus doesn't really spread that way. So if anything, there's a lot of evidence pointing to the fact that lockdowns have done severe damage, not just inside you know this COVID epidemic, but outside of it with all the mental health, the economic repercussions. But there's still nothing that any you know legitimate scientist can point to that said, "Oh yeah, lockdowns have done some positive things." There's just nothing out there, and it's it's probably the biggest um, domestic policy blunder in American history. And unfortunately, in in you know it's not just America that did this; it's every other country in the world that made the same mistake.
1: Now, speaking of Jordan Schachtel, investigative journalist uh, and Part of what uh, Alex Berenson calls team reality, people willing to look at the numbers and come to conclusions about this COVID-19 thing that aren't just the official from on high consensus position. How did we go, Jordan, from Dr. Fauci in March, I'm sure you, you've heard this audio, it's been making the rounds the last uh, 24 hours, in March saying, you know, wear a mask, and, you know, but, but really just, if it makes you feel better, I mean, you don't have to wear a mask. That was in March of this year about COVID-19. Now... If you don't wear a mask, you're basically a monster who wants old people to die, including wearing a mask out in the open by yourself. I mean, I see people sitting with 100 yards of social distance on all sides in Central Park who have a mask on. H- how do we go from one to the other?
9: It is public health officials refusing to acknowledge the mistakes they've made in the past and are basically doubling down on the hysteria and fear mongering propaganda entirely not based in data. A lot of people point to East Asia and say, hey, you know, there's not a lot of deaths in East Asia, but you have to remember that there are three primary underlying conditions from people that are under, outside the nursing homes who die of this virus, Have three primary underlying conditions. First and foremost, it's obesity. And we know that in East Asia, we, we are six, five, six, seven times worse in terms of obesity than East Asia. The second underlying condition is diabetes which of course can be caused by obesity. The third most common underlying condition is asthma which can also be related to obesity. And for some reason these public health officials are saying oh just wear a mask and not saying stop going to McDonald's. And I think stop going to McDonald's is a much more effective public health advice than for people to think that by wearing a cloth bandana around their face they're going to successfully shield themselves from a virus that you can you can only see under an electron microscope with 10 million times magnification, the whole thing is just so. It's just all based in pseudoscience. It's so bizarre, and, and this this it, it's it's basically a cult that has been created. It, it, the mask thing is it, it, to me it's just a total mythology. It, it's so absurd. There's no evidence behind it, and and here we are. You know, here I am in the D.C. Beltway where. Um, in Virginia, the governor is now mandating mask wearing. Uh, if you're in a group, if you're indoors, it's just it's so absurd. And it's hypocritical because as, as you see, you know, a lot of these um, public health officials and governors aren't wearing masks themselves when they're caught out in public.
1: Uh, Jordan, before I let you go, how are people getting, you know, what what is the, the working theory, if you will, for while we were in lockdown and there's all this masking going on? For for weeks and weeks, there were still lots and lots and lots of new infections. So, if the measures were supposed to be if the measures were supposed to be helpful, how are people then still getting uh, getting infected? Do we have any data? Do we have any way of knowing that?
9: So th- that's the thing is that people are just assuming that people are like cheating the lockdowns, cheating the six feet of space and social distancing. I think uh, Dr. Fauci has alluded to this a lot when he said, "Oh, you've got to do a better job social distancing." Um, there's just, that, that kind of goes to show that when you have the CDC issuing a report saying, oh, hey, by the way, 50 million people got, got infected and most of it occurred during the lockdowns. Oh, so what does that say about lockdowns? It says that lo- the lockdowns didn't, didn't work at all in containing the virus, and we should never have told the American people that the idea of the lockdowns was to contain the virus because that was really the big lie um, a few weeks into this epidemic.
1: Jordan, thanks so much for joining us, and thanks for really, uh, being willing to Ask questions that uh, people like you and me have been shouted down for for months now. We appreciate it. Thanks for bringing all your uh, your research here.
9: Yeah, thanks for having
0: me. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know, who I really want
1: to hear from when it comes to the very complicated debates right now around science and how to protect us from a pandemic, how to get the economy restarted. Joe Biden. I just want Joe Biden weighing in, yelling about things. You know, hey, man, I'm I'm not too old for this game. I'm I got cool things to say. I'm a I'm a I'm a hip cat, man. I'm Joe Biden. Uh, yeah, he's got another great one here for you. Producer Mark, would you play whatever it is that he's talking about here?
3: Do you think wearing a mask projects strength or weakness?
6: Leadership. But it presents and projects his leadership. Presidents are supposed to lead, not engage in folly and be falsely masculine. It reminds me of the guys that I grew up with playing ball. They'd walk around with a ball in their hand, but they didn't like to hit very much.
1: Yeah, they walk around with a ball in their hands, but they don't like to they don't like to hit very much. You know, you got you got three roosters on top of a barn, and all of a sudden a hippopotamus waddles by and he's like, Hey man. And they're like, What? <laughs> Does anyone know what Joe Biden's talking about? Carried a ball, but they don't like to hit? What? They're, they're usually people that, like, if you see me walking around with a football, I want to throw a football. What is he? I, P- Producer Mark, am I missing
8: something? Does this make sense? No, it makes absolutely no sense. You're right.
1: Hey, man, I'm walking around. I got a ball, and I got, you know, two two balls in the hand. is worth the bird in the bush. Seven little chipmunks sitting on a branch eating a lot of acorns. Step into my office, Joe Biden style. This is just nuts. They want to make this guy president of the United States. He's the guy. Oh, boy. That's right. If only we would listen to Joe Biden. Everything would have been so much better. Oh, man, I I just so thoroughly, thoroughly disagree with them. But we're going to have to beat them in the election, folks. We're going to have to beat them in the election. And... We also have to try to get the truth out. I, I'm not, I'm not one who believes that we're going to get really close to uh, accountability for the Russia collusion delusion and RussiaGate and all this stuff. I, I don't think that we're likely to see anybody who was involved punished. I don't. I, don't, I just don't think that's going to happen. I, I, I hope I'm wrong. And some people have been fired from the FBI. There have been some people punished, but I mean. If you're talking about handcuffs on in the NYPD it's called the bracelets, put the bracelets on them, but handcuffs on and uh, frog marched out of the office or out of the home. Mm-mm. I, don't, I don't think you're going to see that happening. And I think the best we can hope for is to get as much of the truth out as possible so that people can at least who care about this. And I don't even know how many there will be. Uh, who view this as, as an issue that will determine their voting one way or the other. But the, for the people who care about this, they'll have the facts present and, and they'll be able to, uh, well, know what really happened with Russia collusion stuff. Here is Eric. Eric Swalwell is, is a liar who is perhaps most famous for his on-air flatulence. That's right. If you recall, that was a thing that happened. And it was it pretty much it pretty much blew up the Internet. You could say it uh, it had its it had its day there. But the the Eric Swalwell line here has been to go on MSNBC and other for CNN, other friendly left wing anti Trump media outlets and just always act like, oh, from what I'm seeing behind closed doors, I know that there's really bad stuff about this Russia collusion. And just you wait, just you wait. Now he's part of the team that's opposed to additional information getting out there. Transparency on Russia collusion gate is a bad thing for the Libs. That has been a that's been a consistent theme all along. Here is a talking about all this play 14.
10: He's trying to set up the argument he's going to make in November uh, that the election was rigged. We saw him do this uh, in November 2016 uh, when he was saying it was going to be rigged and uh, it was being rigged in his favor, which is why I think the Obama administration was slow to response. He'd gotten in their head uh, and they did not respond uh, to what Russia was doing uh, quickly enough. But he's trying to seed that argument. So uh, if he does lose, uh, he can go to the courts, he can stoke anxiety and uncertainty around uh, the Result uh, and really, for the first time in American history, uh, hang an asterisk around the peaceful transfer of power. But Americans want to vote from home. Uh, 71% of Americans want to do what service members have done since the Civil War, as you point out, what service members do right now in Afghanistan. If it's safe enough to do in Afghanistan, it should be safe enough in communities that do not yet have uh, COVID under control.
1: You know, there's a problem here because the Democrats are so desperate to set up this enormous change in our national election. You know, there's a a theme here, my friends. There's a pattern. First of all, they don't want transparency on Russia collusion, as I said. And, And note that they went from, why are you unmasking people? Don't do that. I'm sorry, unmasking the unmaskers. Why are you unmasking the unmaskers? People like, you know, Samantha Power and Clapper and Brennan and all these people that were Obama intel, uh, you know, in, intel uh, chiefs or, or even in the case of Samantha Power, appointee a U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. Somehow she needs to know, you know, about General Flynn conversations. Oh, sure, she does. Uh, but as as we looked at this, they didn't want the list of unmaskers to be revealed. Now they want the whole transcript out. So they argued that the that the names were sensitive of the people who were asking for unmasking that I'm asking for unmasking with Carol Baskin. Um, no, asking for the unmasked names. That's something that they said was sensitive. You shouldn't do it. And now they're saying, well, oh, let's release the whole transcript. That's far more sensitive than just the names of the people asking for the unmasking. Right. The conversation itself between Flynn and Kislyak, that's going to be that's real private, sensitive stuff. Now they want that released. Right. Because they're hoping they can make some political hay of it. Uh, But then on, on just the the election piece of this, they said Russia collusion happened because that was their way of negating Hillary's loss in the 2016 election. Now they're trying to cheat in this election by changing the way that it will be conducted. And if they if they don't get their way. You already see it. It's already baked into the cake. You know what? You know what's coming. If we don't allow them this this mail, uh, this, you know, ballot from home uh, situation, you know, and ballot harvesting, make all the changes they want. You know what they're going to say? Voter suppression if Trump wins. Oh, and it was suppression because of COVID-19. Oh, and COVID-19 has a disparate impact on communities of color. Therefore, it was racist. By making people vote the way we voted for hundreds of years in this country, it is a racist, evil voter suppression scheme. That's going to be the story. If Trump wins,
0: thanks for listening to the bus, sex and show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So we had some more
1: tough jobs numbers, but we knew the jobs numbers would be bad. They're going to keep being bad until the country reopens. It's beginning, but it's not happening nearly fast enough. You got 40 million people have lost their jobs across the United States. I want to bring on a member of Congress who understands that we have to get the American people back to work. We now are joined by Congressman Chuck Fleischman. He is from Tennessee, where he represents the third district, including Chattanooga. Thank you so much, Congressman. We appreciate it.
7: It's a great pleasure to be with you, sir.
1: Thank you. Good afternoon. So first off, how is we like to whenever we talk people in states across the country, different guests, we like to just get a a sense for the ground truth of. How is Tennessee handling both the COVID crisis, but but also what's it looking like for small businesses and for folks that are trying to, you know, deal with this economic crisis as well?
7: Well, it's a great question, and I thank you for that. Tennessee is one of the great states that has no state income tax, has low regulations, probably the lowest tax state in the nation. Uh, In addition to that, before the COVID situation, it's a right-to-work state. So it's been booming. We've attracted businesses from literally all over the world. So it's been a very fertile environment for businesses to come to Tennessee, thrive in Tennessee and, and stay in Tennessee. There's no question that the COVID uh, situation interrupted that. However, we're coming back strong. The state has been back open. We're doing much better, uh, but there's there's a disruption effect in Tennessee, and of course, around the nation, that needs to be dealt with. But by and large, Tennessee is a debt free state. We balance our budget every year. So we will weather this storm from the health standpoint and from the financial standpoint a lot better than
1: other states. Are you going to need a, a large amount of uh, additional federal assistance to get up and running again? Or if, in fact, the state continues to open up, do you think you'll be able to, as you say, weather the storm financially?
7: Tennessee received about $3 billion from the uh, last stimulus package, which is less than some states, more than others. And they will use that money very well. I have weekly conversations with our governor, with our state legislators who work very hard to keep us in a strong place fiscally. Now, bear in mind, they have got to balance their budget. What that will mean is in some areas cuts, they have a robust rainy day fund, but they're gonna have to be fiscally responsible unlike some of the other states in the Northeast that are going to be, and in the Midwest, that are upside down because of their mismanaged pension funds and, and bloated spending. So uh, will we need more money? Perhaps. If we do, we want it targeted. We want to make sure that we incentivize business, incentivize growth, and keep regulations at a minimum. So if there is additional stimulus money, we want it to make sure that it stimulates the business community, creates job growth, and gets us back on the track for recovery.
1: We're speaking to Congressman Chuck Fleischman of Tennessee's 3rd Congressional District. Congressman, what would you like to see the president push for and the Congress act on uh, to help get things moving in this country? And what, what additional measures, if any, do you support for the people that are so negatively impacted by this so far?
7: Another great question. We have to be cognizant of the fact that we have spent trillions of dollars already. Uh, These are funds that are not uh, just appropriated out of surplus. These are funds that are largely borrowed against our national debt. When we started, we had a national debt of around $23 trillion. Depending on where the four packages that we have passed will leave us, we could be close to $30 trillion in debt a young person such as yourself and I have three uh, younger sons this is a debt that will be on the shoulders a burden on the shoulders of all Americans particularly our younger Americans who are entering the workforce so we need to be very careful if we come back with an additional package we have to realize these are borrowed funds so we want to use them wisely no waste and I will say this I had a conversation with the head of the secret service just yesterday we are combating waste fraud and abuse unfortunately there are people out there right now who are trying to take advantage uh, by scams and otherwise so we've got to make sure that the dollars are well spent because these are borrowed dollars and on top of that we want to make sure that we combat waste fraud and abuse wherever we do have a federal program
1: now there's a lot of back and forth between The Democrats, led by Nancy Pelosi and and Republicans right now, over how the election, presidential election, but also, of course, uh, congressional elections, too, coming up this fall. What are your feelings on mail-in balloting for everybody and ballot harvesting state by state?
7: Very concerned about both of those things. Uh, I've said this a long time, and and it's coming into fruition. We see it time after time. Republicans play by the rules. Uh, We follow the law, we try to do the right thing. Democrats play to win, and they'll do anything to win, unfortunately. And I think this is the latest in a uh, charade uh, uh, of attempts to basically try to uh, uh, gain an advantage uh, in a very competitive environment. Uh, I think it's critically important that President Trump is reelected. I think he's done an outstanding job as president. Uh, I think it's critically important that we hold the United States Senate, meaning the Republicans. Uh, that is up for grabs. There's some key races. Then, of course, the House. We won a key House race in, in California. We held a key House seat in Wisconsin. Uh, it's a very competitive environment. I'm in uh, one of the co-chairs of Take Back the House for our dinner. Uh, that is going to be an uphill climb, and I think we've got to work very hard. So. As we look at some novel ideas like mail-in ballot, balloting or unfortunately what we're seeing the Democrats push for, same day registration, that red flag has got to go up. We've got to be careful. I want everyone in America who is able to vote and legally able to vote to be able to vote. However, I do not want any fraud. I do not want any tampering with ballots or ballot harvesting. That is a danger to me. I think it's a danger to our republic. So uh, I'm very wary of any Democratic attempts to expand
1: this program. Congressman Chuck Fleischman of Tennessee, sir, thanks for your time. Appreciate you joining us here on the show.
7: It's a pleasure. Thank you for your show and all your efforts, sir. Have a good day.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
3: I mean, in my opinion, the Trump is 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 really behind the eight ball right now. He knows that unless they fix this election, unless uh, his party uh, does voter suppression and stops mail-in voting, and uh, is unsuccessful in his uh, his culture war uh, that he's going uh, uh, forward with, that they will lose. And the Senate will go Democrat, the House will stay Democrat, and the president will uh, be a Democrat. He knows that, so he is scared of that. He's playing a political game with people's lives. And these people do not realize that they are pawns in his game. He only wants to be reelected. He doesn't really care if you live or die. I mean, witness the fact that he went golfing uh, on Memorial when when the names are being printed in the New York Times about how many people have died. He couldn't care less. Why does he fiddle with people's lives is what I want to know. Why is Joy Behar
1: crazy? Why why does Joy Behar make no sense? I I just want to know. Does someone want to vote? First of all, notice how she worked it in already. I'm telling you, do what Democrats want for the election or else it's voter suppression. Oh, it's voter suppression. No, that's not how this works. It's not voter suppression to have elections the way we've always done elections. Uh, and those who are saying, oh, what about absentee ballots? Absentee ballots generally don't even get counted. This is a total change in the process. And there's supposed to be a reason for your request for an absentee ballot. And for those who are military members serving overseas, of course we would make a, an exception for them. You know, no one's going to say, hey, you're deployed in South Korea. Can you hop on a flight to go back home to Oklahoma to cast your vote in the presidential election? That's not fair. That makes no sense. Think of the expense. It's nuts. Okay, but it's like Trump doesn't even care about people. Now, I know that you might be saying, Buck, this woman is is so dumb and and her opinions are so contemptible that it's not worth spending any time on them. And unfortunately, that's not really true. They are so dumb and contemptible, but. It's worth spending some time on them because she is inartful in saying what is really the Democratic Party base belief on a whole bunch of things. And part of what motivates them and what is at the center of so much of their thinking about Trump is that they believe the president just does not care about his fellow human beings, that he is a true. And, and I, I know that yeah, I say this. And it's one of those things that sounds so nuts that to say it feels like you're almost embracing a little bit of the crazy yourself. But it's true. He is uh, they they believe that he is a moral monster and does not care about human death or suffering at any level. And that is central to all of their because that justifies everything. Right. If, If you're living in Stalin's Soviet Union is is lying about the Soviet government or lying to the Soviet government or working with the press to not that there really was a press but you know let's assume other than pravda uh, you know would that be would it be a moral thing to use immoral means to take down a monster like stalin yeah of course you know even if when i say immoral you know even if you lied even if you and you can take this all the way to uh, things like just war theory and collateral damage, and you know, can it can it be moral if, in the course of fighting against a great evil, there are losses that occur, losses of our own people? Let's say, you know, there's this is the the ends justify the means put into action by the left because the ends have to be the defeat of Trump because he's so evil. It's not that they disagree with him. It's not, and and it's fascinating to see how. The things that they promised would happen if Trump was in office about how the economy would just be destroyed. And don't say, oh, but what about covid? Every the globe. One of the only reasons that we may be able to get out of this somewhat in one piece as a country, even with the horrifically bad decision making and leadership on this and include really at, at all levels. But. Uh, One of the reasons is that the entire global economy is so depressed. And there is, when you look at currency and market share and things like this, there there are some zero-sum aspects to this. There are some components of this that are more, you know, we're in a better position because the whole world is suffering at the same time. But that also is a huge data point for, this isn't Trump's fault. It's not like Europe was fine and America got crushed by this. Everybody's been badly, economically at least, very badly hit by this, and, and a vast majority of places have suffered far too much death and loss from it. Uh, but if they start from this premise that, oh, rather, the, not just the premise that Trump is evil, but also they don't care that their predictions about him for the years up to this were wrong— because nothing, the results of his presidency don't matter because he's so evil. You see what you see? How the, this is the, this is a central belief. So when they say things like he doesn't
3: care about
1: people dying and you know Joy Behar who hasn't read a book in probably twenty years, you know she's out there uh, spewing this stuff about him. But this is a this is really on the left, the consensus belief that President Trump is an evil man. They really think that they believe that to be true. And uh, that means that everything else is justified, including all of their uh, their changes, um, their their demands about uh, voting and their their demands about what needs to happen going forward. By the way, I, I liked what. What Kellyanne Conway said about this, uh, she's, she's, Ms. Conway is a, f- she's got some fight in her. Play clip 15.
0: Why are we, why are we presuming five months beforehand that people predominantly or exclusively are only going to want and be able to vote by mail? People are very proud to show up and go to the polls. They really are. I mean, they wait in line for a Georgetown cupcake for an hour to get a cupcake So I think they can probably wait in line to do something as consequential and critical and constitutionally significant as cast their ballot. And, you know, the other thing that concerns me is very, is very simple. The Democrats don't like their candidate. They didn't want Joe Biden to be their nominee. So they're looking for any which way they can to to find other methods by which to make him more appealing to the voters, I suppose
1: they're looking for whatever they can do. Notice that she says they don't they don't like Biden as a candidate. That's certainly that I mean that's obviously the case. Oh Bi- Biden though, when asked about, I thought this was really remarkable. When asked about his mental fitness, he goes on offense against Trump. He's like, "Hey man, when when someone, you know, when someone decides uh, he's going to he's going to come in your come into your house and and start, you know, cooking a steak and you say, hey, man, what about what about playing a game of a bridge? And he's like, what? And I'm like, oh, and and then I take a nap. You know, whatever it is, that he's, <laughs> whatever it is that Biden's saying, uh, he goes on offense against Trump here. Play clip 18. Look, I mean, uh, talk about a guy who's missing
6: a step. He's missing something. man. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get down into giving him nicknames. And, but uh, th- th- this is a fellow who... Um, looks like he's having trouble controlling his own emotions. Uh, um, what worries me is uh, you know, all this stuff about Biden's hiding. Well, you know, the fact of the matter is it's working pretty well so far doing the rules. He's behind in almost every every state um, doesn't mean it's going to be that way come November. But the idea that uh, he seems to get more erratic, the more he feels like he's behind the curve.
1: Uh, uh, uh. A little little bit more and more like gurgling with Gergen over here at CNN. Remember that guy? Uh, Ford, Nixon, Reagan. uh. Let's let's go to David Gergen with an analysis of the Trump versus Biden campaign. Uh, You know, Anderson Cooper. Yes, yes. Let's 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 go to let's go to David Gergen. He's he's worked for the last 15 presidents in a row. Uh, situation and uh, Ford and uh, Reagan and the uh, White House and uh, Watergate and uh, I can do the I can do the hit for gurgling gargan all the, I don't know why they don't just pay me. they you know, David could stay home, you know, he could just give me a cut. Uh, refraction Nixon and Ford and Reagan and Yep. That's what you got. It's what you get
0: from Biden, too, basically. It just sounds a little different. Thanks for listening to the Buck, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Okay, everybody, it's time to expand your minds. It's Harsanyi time. David Harsanyi joins us now. He is a writer at National Review. Going to run down some of the most important things going on across the country, perhaps even around the world. Mr. Harsanyi, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm all right, man. So you've had this uh, this series of recent disclosures of what had been classified information from inside the intelligence community. It got out thanks to Rick Grinnell. And now we know that the targeting of Flynn was was bad news. Uh, It was it was a setup. the FBI. Wait, what we've been saying for years was all true. How do you describe the Democrat media and Democrat Party maneuvering It's like it feels to me like nothing has changed. They're just still right in there. Yeah, well, there was collusion and Flynn lied. Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, it's a cliche, but they're gaslighting people by pretending, you know, first by deflecting away from the point. You know, they bring up that, uh, you know, that Flynn was a bad guy in other ways, that he had dealings with Turkey and so on in Russia um, which might well be true, might not be true, but that's not what he was prosecuted on. That's not what he plead pled to, and that's not, you know, pertinent right now in this discussion over over why uh, they set him up, why the FBI didn't think he was lying to them, but still went forward with uh, with you know with, with going after him. Why Mueller still you know went after him when when he knew that the conversations Flynn had had with the Russian ambassador were not undermining U.S policy in any way so all, all of those questions need to be answered and as we have been doing for the last few years we just need to ignore the people on the experts on CNN and Lawfare and MSNBC and just keep moving forward because uh, there's a lot of evidence and a lot of facts that, uh, that 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 support our position on this.
1: And it feels like I don't know if you saw that that Wall Street Journal editorial from the former CBS News president uh, where he said I got to tell you, it was a little bit of like a Captain Obvious editorial for me. It was like, yeah, dude, we already know this. But he's saying the media is never getting less partisan because the partisanship is actually where the that's where the sauce is. That's where you make your money and, and get your audience and, and people that are pretending not to be partisan while being partisan. Just do just do so because it it enhances, uh, you know, the. But the credibility in the eyes of their partisan audience that's watching, oh, well, this is just the facts and the truth that I'm getting from my 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 left wing hack. But it feels like we've now at least recognized there's no accountability in any of this stuff for being no one. I I have yet to see a single mea culpa editorial from anyone about being wrong on on Russia collusion. Uh, you know The whole Flynn targeting All of it I haven't seen Have you seen one? I haven't seen a single one
2: No, I mean I, I wrote a really long rant Against the media A few weeks ago And, and in it I, I made the point to say That I think that The incentive in the media today Right Is to be partisan It's not to be a good reporter You don't You don't make a lot of money Your job isn't any safer You don't build a giant Audience on Twitter By being straight down The line reporter That That's Not what you do What you do is Uh, You become a partisan, and you go after Donald Trump, you know, for the the most part, and you're going to build a big audience. So, to walk back three, four years of your, you know, hysterics over Russia collusion, that destroys your brand. You can't do that. You just have to move forward. And as you said, there, there, there is no uh, accountability. Like, you know, when I worked at a newspaper 15 years ago, let's say, uh, a pretty big newspaper at the Denver Post and I had written something accusing someone of something horrible being a traitor or sedition. They want a lot of facts to back that up. And if I had been wrong and had gone out on a limb, there would be, I would have to answer for that, right? Um, And for much smaller things than that. Obviously I was, you know, covering local news for the most part in the beginning when I was reporting, but even then, even in those stories, there was accountability to get in trouble. There's none of that today. You can just move forward. Uh, you could be Max Boot or whoever and say whatever you want, and even as a columnist, and never have to answer for, for your mistakes, which are abundant, right? So,
1: And I've got to say, one one part of this that feels like it has been lost, and maybe you can help. You write very excellent columns at National Review, and this is a, a theme I'd like to be just more broadly uh, understood as the public grapples with what happened here, at least the people that are willing to look at it honestly, is the, the way that all of our, you know, they talk so much about our institutions, right? That was a huge talking point for the first few years. The Trump, oh, Trump is undermining our sacred institutions of democracy. Like, well, whatever that means. I don't, it wasn't even really clear always what that was supposed to be. By, by criticizing some people in the press, he's attacking the First Amendment. I mean, the stuff they said is insane. Uh, but the, the inability to understand what it means... When good faith is not an expectation for those in power within the bureaucracy, particularly in law enforcement, I mean, what they've really fallen back on in the Russia collusion thing is well, these FBI guys, you know, they believed that Flynn was a Russian agent, so everything else they did is more or less justified. Well, you know, I, when I was in the CIA, or, you know, let, let's say that I was working with someone in the FBI and I fed him, I said, you know, I think this person might be. Uh, handing who has classified information might be handing over classified stuff. I've just got a gut feeling about it. If the FBI then raided that person's house, threw tear gas in, pulled them out of the shower naked with MP5s drawn on them, normal human beings would have a problem with that. But in the Russia collusion situation, we're told that that's okay.
2: And and let's concede to them that everything they say about how this started is true, right? The gut feeling, uh, you know, they thought Flynn was a bad guy. Uh, they believed a lot of what was in the uh, the dossier, etc. After you see what happened and after you see the abuse of power that, that Trump could use right now, if he felt like, according to their own standards, you would walk it back and at least say, listen, I think Trump's a bad guy. I think he's in bed with Russia in many ways I don't like. I think Flynn's a bad guy. But... We have a process. Process is more important, you know, and and justice is more important. And having a police force and, you know, and an FBI and a justice department we can trust are more important than just going after Trump all the time. But they never, they can never concede a step. It's like the whole thing with Trump. People think I'm, you know, because I defend him on this, I'm pro-Trump, right? I don't really care that much about Trump. I care more about the abuses that are going on. If it, if, trust me, they would have done this to George Bush, Mitt Romney, anyone they, you know, all of those guys, in my opinion. But Trump is the only uh, president who sort of fights back the way he does. I'm not sure that's always a good idea, but quite often I think it's fine. And that's what makes them even madder and more sort of, uh, you know, stuck in a position that they won't even concede the most obvious things like that, that, that Flynn was railroaded. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems obvious to say, OK, Flynn was railroaded. This is over anyway. right? the Russia collusion thing's over. It's fine to concede things now, isn't it? it seems to me it would be, but
1: they don't. Speaking of David Harsani, David, I also want to ask you about the the big fight right now over mail in ballots for the whole election and what's going on with all these different states. And, you know, also, I don't know if, if, you, if you can just tell us a little bit about what, what Pelosi is trying here, but what do you see going on and and, and how obvious is it to you that this stinks to high heaven?
2: <laughs> that's quite, that's begging the question, is it not? But um, yeah, I actually do think it stinks. I mean, it stinks in, in the sense that they're using an emergency to try to push through initiatives that they, uh, that they have been, you know, a hobby horse for them for, for years and years and years. So they're using this emergency to push that through. They're, they're in a sense, what I don't like is not just the paper ballots, but that we're nationalizing, we're trying to nationalize the election process. I don't, I think that those are problematic. Um, As far as paper ballots themselves, I don't like them because I think it shouldn't be easier to vote. I think it should be harder to vote. I've not never, you know, for all Americans, I've never hidden that. Um, so I, I think the heart, you know, I think if voting is actually sacred and actually as important as they say that we should have to put a little effort into it. Yeah,
1: I feel like if, if the state can mandate that you might have to show up and spend a couple of weeks of your life, you know, determining whether or not someone who got caught with, a, you know, a, a pound of coke somewhere should go to prison you know i i feel like if you're able to do that as part of your civic duty you should be able to show up and vote in person <laughs> it doesn't seem to me like it's asking too much especially if it's every four well, years I, right and i think that
2: part of of this effort to make it so easy to vote that essentially we come to your house you do what you want we take the vote from you and move on is to have to to compel people or entice people who don't care to vote who don't know what's going on to vote i think you want ignorant voters i think that's the key and uh, i have lo- long had a problem with that in fact i still believe despite you know despite the history of this because i think we're in a different world now than we used to be that there should be some kind of uh test for voting <laughs> you know just a wow
1: david uh, Harsani you. with a test of this is this is spicy stuff people get so upset whatever you say a basic civic test uh, for voting for example oh my gosh yeah. We're not even allowed to have English as the, uh, as the national language. I understand this is never going to happen,
2: but I think that having some ba- listen, I don't think it would even change any of the results, but I think having some basic understanding of American civics, the kind of understanding that a new citizen has, right? They took a test to take a test to become a citizen. My parents took a test to become a citizen. It's something that we should easily be able to pass. You can take it a million times if you need to, but you should need to know the very basics of civic life to vote. Now, obviously, there's an ugly history there because people, have, you know, have tried to take away the right of african-americans to vote in the south and all of that right. i get it it's a different world i think that uh that we need a more educated electorate but this is just of course a thought experiment because it's never gonna have
1: that i mean when i support. when i vote in new york city i'm, I'm always amazed uh, you look at the ballot and i you know i'm i'm a reasonably you know I, I have a good general knowledge of of a lot of things that are you know global affairs related i can't even tell there are so many languages that the ballots are printed i can't even tell you what all the languages are. I mean, I, I think they get, they get into like Sanskrit and, you know, Thai. And I mean, I, I can't tell all these things apart. I've never been one of these like, people gets
2: mad that they're, you know, there's a, you know, press two for Spanish kind of press one for Spanish actually these days. But, you know, I think that the English language is, is, is one of the glues that holds together society and then helps newcomers, you know, become part become American. So I'm obviously, I, I, I do worry when you have people voting who don't even maybe have any clue
1: what's going on, you know, David Harsani. David what's your next piece going to be on?
2: Uh, Trump's, uh, regulatory, uh, executive order on, uh, tech companies, which I absolutely hate.
1: Oh, give us a quick, Before I was going to let you go back to your life, but give us a quick preview here. What's what's your take on it?
2: This is, this is my life, man.
1: Um,
2: I, uh, you know, I mean, I, this is an Obama-esque kind of uh, runaround of the legislature, which didn't which didn't intend this law to be, uh, uh, you know, they are too make sure that we have a fairness doctrine it was there for other reasons to stop people from being sued all the time on the internet and to to help uh websites deal with indecent indecency on their site so i think that that's not the will or the intent of the legislature and more than that you know he's setting up some kind of like white house task force where people are going to be able to report on other people who are censoring them i mean and now we're gonna have the white house keeping lists of of censorship it's of private in you know on private sites it's just I think it's an illiberal idea, but more than that, I just don't, you know, he got, a, I'm against the fact check that Twitter did. I think it was stupid and uh, arbitrary or not so arbitrary, maybe just targeting the president, but that doesn't mean I think that you, you know, now we should be able to, you know, tear apart, uh, relatively neutral, but don't get me wrong. I think that the criticisms of Twitter and Facebook and YouTube are merited, but I think that the the solution that you're coming up with is only going to empower government. And when you have Attorney General Kamala Harris uh, implementing those rules, you're not going to like it very
1: much. All right, David Harsani at National Review, everyone. David, thanks so much, man.
0: Appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast
5: leadership today also apparently consists of spreading vile conspiracy theories on Twitter about the death of a former staffer for then Congressman Joe Scarborough and doing it over and over again, traumatizing her family and her husband so deeply that he wrote to Twitter begging the company to take down the president's tweets because they're not true about his wife. What a little man. He's just a little man. He's the leader of the free world, and he is a little, little man, a self-proclaimed wartime leader. A leader in the midst, he says, of a transition to greatness for the country, spreading falsehoods about a dead woman, despite the pain and the pleas of her husband and the family. He doesn't even have the guts to say he doesn't care about what they think. No, no, he doesn't have the guts to say, you know what, I don't care what they think because this serves my political purposes. That's why he's doing it. He doesn't have the guts to say that because he is just a little man, despite his girth and size. He's a little man inside, and he knows that.
1: Okay. First of all, I mean George Stephanopoulos is a little man. <laughs> if we're really, I mean, if we're going to go there, I mean, we're going to talk. About, and second of all, isn't Anderson Cooper supposed to be a? Isn't he supposed to be an objective journo? Calling the president repeatedly, uh, you know, a derogatory name, or you know, to to take a, a shot at him in this way. And by the way, you know we're supposed to stay you know, night after night tune in to watch Anderson read off of a prompter and ask obvious questions of basically nothing but Democrats and all pushing the same point of view. Um, yeah. yeah, that's what that seems objective. That seems fair minded to me. I, I also though I have a, a more serious point to make here. And and look, I tell you this, I I think the president likes. I think he likes to sometimes. Uh, you know, Rush. I know Rush said this yesterday. The president likes to. He likes to poke at his at his enemy sometimes. And, you know, I'll leave it to you as to whether or not you you always agree with how he does it. All right. But on to the CNN component of this for a moment here. Anderson Cooper is expressing a lot of uh, a lot of emotional solidarity with the family of this woman who died a long time ago. And. Uh, I just would note: Has Anderson Cooper ever expressed any solemnity on air for the people who have been destroyed, their lives ruined, recently by CNN? I, I, I just, you know, here he is. He's taking a more a moral stand. You know, oh, Trump is putting the family through so much pain, and look, that does. It seems like it's a it's a very tragic situation for the family, and. It would be nice if everybody would would have respect um, for that. But does CNN ever talk about oh, what has been done to? I mean, General Flynn is a perfect example of it. You think that his career and reputation being ruined, threatening to throw his son into prison that got into anything wrong? Did, did, does CNN ever get bothered by that? Do they do they worry about the people that they have doxed? Um, and, and gotten either fired from their jobs or gotten, you know, just everyday, everyday civilians, normal people who get death threats because CNN wants to make a point about someone. You know, remember the guy who did a, a meme? I, I didn't remember what the meme was now, but it was a meme that involved Trump, I think, beating up a CNN logo or something. And then they, they found out who he was and they, you know, they went after him. What I'm trying to tell you is that CNN is really no more ethical or decent than Media Matters for America, which is a a trash heap where any person of integrity and character would be ashamed to work. Ashamed. CNN is getting very close into at least for the on air people into that category. Look, I understand for producers, you know, you got to get the jobs where you can and CNN pays well and everything else. But for some of these uh, on air talents, when when do they feel like CNN is just doing damage, is actually harming people? Uh, They did a lot of damage with Russia collusion. Happy to see people sent to prison for no real reason. Happy to see reputations ruined to smear people in the public. No, no remorse over this whatsoever. Tapper getting this whole thing started. Cooper fanning the flames the whole time. Don Lemon going on TV to just be an idiot. I mean, you know, what what exactly? And then, you know, Aaron, does anyone watch Aaron Burnett show? Oh, you know, CNN, I'm sure they've got, you know, a built in audience in all the airports, so I'm sure some people are watching it. Uh, what's amazing to me is that someone like in Aaron Burnett's category at even at CNN has any negotiating power whatsoever with management, because not like no one you replace Aaron Burnett with 15 other people at CNN and no one is going to notice or care. Cooper has a following. Um, there are some others there that, that have their own following. But some of those anchors, I just I, is a, a more of a, of a business commentary, it's remarkable to me. Oh, wait, but I, I mentioned Don Lemon. We also have have Don Lemon here. Play 19. OK, so the president was
10: speaking at an event on protecting the health of seniors. And you know what? If he really cared about seniors, he would encourage people to wear masks to save the lives of those seniors who make up a large portion of the coronavirus deaths. But this president would rather mock a reporter. He would rather mock Joe Biden for doing what what every American has been doing. Most Americans have been been doing the right thing, and that is wearing a mask. Mocking him for being a real man, unlike the president, and doing what he should be doing.
1: (sighs) These are their news anchors. And they're trashing the president of the United States night after night in personal terms. Oh my gosh! Uh, you know, and and they still they they cling to the fiction, nonetheless, that they're an objective news network, and it's just it just couldn't be any more preposterous. And in the background, as all these bad things are happening in this country, you got crazy Nancy, who's there. Uh, how many wine coolers have I had today? You know, Nancy's out there still. Uh, I'm a, a, a master legislator. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Whatever, Nancy. She's going to push this to the max and the media is going to be there pushing her every step of the way. Play clip nine.
3: Uh, We have to open the economy. We have to do so in a way that uh, gives more opportunity for access to care, to credit, to opportunity in our country, because as Mr. Mr. Clabin said, this is an opportunity. Every crisis is.
1: It is a crisis for sure, a crisis largely at this point of lockdowners and mostly on the left, but not entirely lockdowners making and just wait and see what they have in store for us in the months ahead. We have had a, a reordering of political priorities that has occurred in real time because of the COVID-19 crisis that we'll, we were, are just beginning to really see where all of this is going that's why I don't think anyone can anticipate even what the primary uh, what, what, what the primary issues that will move that small sliver of voters come the fall. Uh, no one really even knows what it will be at this point. And you got with Pelosi circling in the background, waiting to exploit the situation to the maximum. Just you wait and see. These people are shameless,
0: shameless, I tell you. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like soft butter on warm toast, time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for roll call. Indeed, it is.
1: Time for the roll call, the call of the roll. Thank you so much for uh, sticking through to this point in the show, everybody. I feel like for some of you, it's one of your favorite parts of the show. Certainly, one of my favorite parts because I get to hear from all of you. facebookcom slash Sexton. if you want to send Facebook messages. TeamBuck at iHeartMedia.com is the email if you want to send it to us that way. Or uh, producer Mark loves carrier pigeon or passenger, you know, a carrier pigeon that with the little. Um, or messenger pigeon, I guess it is, with the little uh, thing attached to the foot, right?
8: Yeah, it can be like a Hogwarts owl. They'll just find me.
1: Yeah, exactly. Just, Just tell your carrier pigeon, put your little scroll on its tiny little bird foot and send it out there and say, find producer Mark. He loves it when the pigeon lands on his windowsill and leaves him a couple of presents, if you know what I mean. That's his favorite.
8: Yes, and if you give the pigeon fudge for me too, that'd be great also.
1: There we go. Fudge. What, what is the one food you have not been able to get in quarantine that you are as soon as like all the options huh. are on the table again, you're just going to go after with a vengeance? It
8: was sushi for a while because all the Asian restaurants pretty much closed because people were not going to them because they thought they had coronavirus, which was obviously wrong. But that's just what happened. Um, I guess now I, I mean, maybe it's just because I haven't found a good Chinese place in, in my new area. But uh, um, I think Chinese food is the one thing I haven't had in a while.
1: I have not, you know what, you're right, I haven't had Chinese food the entire, I, there's a, there are a couple of Vietnamese restaurants that have stayed open, and I've been ordering from them all the time, and let me tell you, if you eat enough pho, your belly will grow, uh, but, the, uh, yeah, I haven't had Chinese food in a while, so that will be kind of exciting, and there is gluten-free Chinese in New York, for those of you Very who are nice. like, how can you do that, turns out you can. Alright, let's get to it, Steve! Love your show on Freedom 937 in the Denver area. Yes. We love our Denver audience, man. You guys have have made us the number one time show a uh, time uh, Can I speak English? Maybe you're not going to listen anymore if I don't. Number one show in our time slot in Denver. So thank you so much for that. And keep keep listening. Keep keep telling people about us. The curve has been flattened, Steve writes. Now it is a time to flatten the fear. People may be doing more harm than good to themselves. By wearing those silly masks outdoors. Besides, they look like stupid sheeple, and that offends me. Yes, liberals' mass stupidity offends me. Give Tallulah a pat on the head for me, and of course, she'll tie. Uh, Well, Steve, um, thank you so much for writing in, man. And yes, I will give... Tallulah wants more than a pat on the head. She usually wants me to, like, kiss the, the ring on her little paw so that I have... Shown her royal highness that i've paid all necessary uh homage to her so there you go but uh yeah the the masks outdoors um it makes no no sense but people are doing it all over the place it's become a symbol as dr fauci now i know some of you are gonna figure out that my dr fauci sounds a little like my joy Beha. Fauci and Bayhaw. think about that as a show that would be quite a show Uh, we'll have to see if I can make that one happen Andrea hey Buck Black and Decker craftsman is closing their plant in China and moving to Texas maybe Buck and producer Mark should follow their lead Andrea, I'm just telling you producer Mark is already he's already cast his vote for Florida if the Freedom Hut goes mobile it's gonna be real tough to get this guy to go anywhere other than Florida. That 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 I can tell you. Um, and I how, can I really how, how much can I really disagree with that? You got great food, great weather. It's not a communist dystopia. There's some upside to it.
8: Close to the beach. Beaches, beautiful oh. beach. Did have I mentioned lately that Florida has no state income tax? Yes, and no
1: state income tax. I'm into it. TJ writes in, Buck, I'm not a fan of the Trump 4D chess theories, and I know that Trump often shoots himself in the foot via Twitter, most recent example being Trump's insistence to go after Scarborough on these murder conspiracies. With that being said, is it possible that Trump's trying to get himself kicked off Twitter? My theory being that the most effective way to hit Twitter hard would be for them to disown him and not Uh, him leaving them. Perhaps he's trying to find a way to effectively switch over to a new platform like Parler. I know this is fairly out there as a grand conspiracy, and it's much more likely that Trump just likes to shoot himself in the foot, but just trying to think outside of the box, you know. TJ, uh, I don't think that that's what's going on here. I think the president likes to stick his thumb in the eye of his ideological opponents and doesn't like to play by the rules of decorum they set, even when sometimes those rules of decorum uh, would be fair, you know, or, or would be understandable. Uh, Trump, you know, he doesn't hold back. He throws punches, and that's the way it's going to be. As for Parlor, these other apps, I, I just think that it's such a, Look at Facebook and the durability of Facebook. I think that once a social media platform has achieved that true uh, dominance, it's it's a winner take all position and second and third platforms are, are really irrelevant because you need that critical mass of users and, and you need all of that to, you know, it, it's just there's and look, look, how many of you use a search engine other than Google? Honestly, think about that for a second. I mean, it's, there, there could be 100 search engines out there, but you really just use Google, don't you, producer Mark? Do you ever use a, a non Google search engine?
8: No, and anybody who uses Bing or something, I just look at them like, why? Yeah, I, I I don't even really know
1: how to. I mean, Yahoo. All I need to know about Yahoo is that they paid. You know, they had Mercer Mayer as a CEO, and she basically destroyed the company. Yay, good job. So yeah, I I can't get excited about about any other uh, social media platforms these days, and. Uh, You know, we've tried and we have even had some that we've partnered with on the show, but it's just so difficult to get to that critical mass of users. Um, It's very high hurdle. Uh, Gina. Hi again, Buck. So the president's announcement today, he wanted to regulate platforms like, whoa, the only thing that should be done is to create them all as publishers and retract all the protections afforded to them as neutral social networks. Then they can see the litany of lawsuits that will come as they face libel for publishing false info. Being a Federalist, I do not believe a president is able to slap back a private business while applying their rules as they are published for all to agree to is something we would champion or should champion. There seems to be a better and constitutional way to make them see the light shields high Uh, Gina I think you're you're correct I mean this is what I've been saying too Uh, we have to make sure that these social media platforms are living by the same rules that other media platforms do and the same standards that they do and if they're going to be engaged in uh, publisher activity as in the the active editing of things just based on what they like and don't like well then don't they have to be responsible the same way that a newspaper would for what they're printing. That that's the that's the center that's the heart of this debate right now, and I don't think that the uh, I don't think that the executive order well we'll have to see what the president has to say about this executive order and what the specifics of it. Uh, Steve Buck, I enjoy your show, but your championing of Aunt Becky is tiresome. She's getting far less of a punishment than she deserves. Remember, her conniving dishonesty likely deprived two deserving young women of the positions her daughters were awarded. Elites simply don't deserve special treatment as a result of their wealth. Whoa, whoa, hold, hold on a second, Steve. First of all, thank you. Write in. Give me heat when I deserve it. I am biased in favor of Aunt Becky, not because she's an elite, but because I had a huge crush on her when I was a kid, and she was on Full House, and she was like the hottest adult lady I had ever seen. Okay? So it has nothing to do with, oh, she's fancy in the elites. Eh! It's because when I was 15, I was like, Aunt Becky's so pretty. I just, Aunt Becky's pretty. And that's it. That's it, you know? So, that's all, that's all I got for you. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm not, I'm not saying it makes me right, but but I am also, the, hold on a second. Months in prison? Months in prison for this? Uh, why can't, you know, the school should just, you know, take the next two people they had on the waiting list, kick out, the, kick out her two girls, and, you know, pay a big fine or something. But, I mean, I think prison's a little... Her husband, Massimo, is going to prison for, like, six months. Uh, So, anyway, I mean, I'm sorry you think it's tiresome, but I just want to be clear. It's not because they're, like, fancy. I don't give a crap. I love fancy people who are bad going to prison. It's great. It's because when I was young, she was very pretty, and I liked her. James Buck, when you get the president on the podcast, you should let him do roll call. That would be so cool. Shields high from WGY. Well, my friend, uh, if that happens, that would be a, that would be a really fun idea. That, could you imagine that? The president doing roll call? Oh, my gosh, that'd be great. But here I am in the Freedom Hut, the best, the most free Freedom Hut of any Freedom Hut in the world. It's like the best Freedom Hut. Uh, yeah. Pablo writes in, hey, Buck, I remember you did a good podcast, which you named MSNBC Can't Math Good. <laughs> That's a We do. When, when there is opportunity, the news cycle, we do have some pretty great titles. I got to tell you, there was a CBS reporter uh, report story reporting that since my state is opened, we have experienced a one hundred and eleven percent increase in Wuhan flu cases. Before we opened, there were thirty five cases. And since open, we have an increase to thirty nine active cases. I went ahead and did the math myself and came up with a fraction below nine percent. I did discover that 39 is about 111% of 35. Apparently, leftist journalists didn't have to take basic math. Shields high, Buck. P.S. Keep fighting the good fight. I think your show is the best on the air. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. It's very kind of you, Pablo. It means a lot. And yeah, no, it's true. Look, journalists, journalists can't math good. And, and I'm, look, I'm not exactly a math wizard myself, so I try to... But I own my mistakes. I own them. Bart. Hi, Buck. Not sure how to email you. Well, apparently you are sure how to email me, Bart. But wanted to say I listen to your show daily and really enjoy it. That being said, I have to let you know your Dr. Fauci impersonation cracks me up. Always gives me a good laugh on the days I need it. I work at a box factory in Coleman. Also, I've been essential through this entire fiasco our, our country's going through right now. I appreciate your show and your opinions you share daily. Keep up the good work and impersonate Dr. Fauci more. It's hilarious.
8: Well, Bart, but we need to know
1: are, are, you, are you doing the mitigation? You know, it, it, are you mitigating in your sleep? Or are you making sure you're washing hands in the shower? You can't just get in the shower turn it on, do a little scrub, you know, armpits, back, your bum area. You got to make sure you actually g- use the soap and, and you know, you sing happy birthday to yourself and you wash your hands in the shower for the full mitigation effort. So it's a public service announcement to you from Dr. Fauci. Just want to make sure it's helpful. Does, Dr. Helpful Fa- sur-
8: Does Dr. Fauci use a loofah? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I had to have a, I had to have a, you know, an ex-girlfriend a long time ago explain to him, I was like, what is that thing in the shower? I didn't
8: know what it was. You know, I recently started using a loofah. No, life changing. Life-changing. Really? It's great. I feel it's so much Mark. more clean. Hey, producer Mark, his man card
1: is stamped so many times over, he, 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 he's pro loofah. He's pro loofah. It's
8: like a washcloth, but better
0: you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast all right roll call
1: continues on here angela writes in oh but before i get to this we got a fun team buck announcement for you on but i can't producer mark said he would code red me if i but we do have something coming i can say that right producer mark i mean you,
8: you already did what I didn't say it I know I didn't say the thing I just love when we have pre-segment conversations like just don't say anything just do a normal show and then you're like you just you have you can't help yourself sometimes but I just said the thing about the, we're, uh-huh, we're doing the uh-huh. thing. I didn't say what the thing is and now we're just gonna leave him waiting that's right well, the well, thing saying, is that Buck is going like, to record Siege of Malta by the end of this year
1: he loves to throw Malta in my face which is fair because I haven't done it yet Angela. Hey, Buck. So the best thing I've seen on Facebook is requiring a mask now is whoa, is like, OK, our VA governor's an idiot. We have to work outside. At least I don't have to wear a mask. Then I am also high risk, but I refuse to live my life one day in fear. I have autoimmune and celiac. I'm sorry to hear that, Angela. As you know, I have celiac, too. Maybe more going through testing now. But I will not wear a mask except for work where they're crazy enough to require it. Uh, Angela, just be safe. Take smart, you know, take smart precautions and uh, God bless and keep your shield high. Richard. uh, Hey, Buck. Hello from North Carolina. I'm sorry I'm behind on your show, Richard. We saved a seat for you. It's okay, but I am catching up. I'm very excited you're coming here. I got yelled at the other day by someone because I was outside my house not wearing a mask. I gave them a colorful response. People have lost their mind. Shields high. Oh, that reminds me. I was going to give a speech in North Carolina in June, but because of state regulations, the hosts have asked me to push it back to August. So I was going to go, but state regul, you know—I I can't can't fight city hall, so to speak. So we pushed it to August. I will be in the great state of North Carolina giving a speech for uh, a whole bunch of folks. Justin writes, "Hey Buck, I literally yelled yes." when you made the point that the governors are absolutely responsible for following idiotic and reckless advice from the CDC regarding nursing homes. That's the problem with blue states. I'm in New Jersey. The governors are followers, not leaders. And it is a time. uh, It is time for leadership. You asked how we can resist the lockdown governors the other day. I say we take a page out of the Democrat playbook and start recall campaigns, just like they did to Scott Walker, except we actually have good reason. What are your thoughts? Um, I mean, Justin, I love the idea of recall campaigns in some of these blue states, except, uh, you know, I don't think the Democrats want to hold people responsible for this. Uh, They don't they don't think that what Cuomo did is a big problem. So they you know, I don't know. I don't know. Kristen. I would honestly prefer you stop trying to do Trump. I don't think anyone does him well. Not even Alec Baldwin who comes closest. It's hard to do Trump's voice without sounding like he's being mocked. So just let that one stick with Bernie, Alex Jones, et cetera. Yeah, Kristen, I'm with you. I, I think I'm going to hang up. the And, and, he, and, I, you know, and I, I just gently imitate the president with, with fondness and affection. Uh, but but I, I'm not good. It's not, it's not, you, know, it's, you know why? My heart's not in it. You're right. My heart's not in it. Where these, uh, these other impersonations like Dr. Fauci, my heart's in it my mitigation, and my heart. That's going to be the show today, everybody. Talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.